Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from a snowy Macomb, Illinois. We got some snow last night and a little bit of ice and some freezing rain, sleep, rain itself. Uh, it kind of all happened at the same time. So, uh, but not too bad. The roads are clear for us here in McDonough County. Uh, we have quite a show for you today. We are going to be joined by uh, Nicole Flowers Kimmerly. Uh, but before we get to our special guests, let us introduce our hosts with us every single week. And this week we are talking seed catalogs. Katie Parker, local foods educator in Adams County. Hey, Katie. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Not too bad. Um, cold outside, warm in here, no complaints at all. Hey, did you get snow and ice down in your neck of the woods? We got a bit, uh, just enough to cover the ground, but not much. Yeah, so... Yeah, I see you're in the office today, so your commute yeah. to work was uneventful. Right. Well, Very good. it did take me about six trips to get out to my car with everything that I needed uh, since we've been working at home and kind of forget what you need at the office or what's at the office. So, but I, I made it. I have everything I need and being productive. Very good. Well, welcome to the hybrid life, Katie. Yeah, uh, work from sure. home and in the office. It's yeah, you, you learn to live off of a, a backpack, so yeah. Right. <laughs> and we must introduce our other co-hosts here, Ken Johnson, horticulture educator in Jacksonville, Illinois. Hey, smooth peanut butter, Ken. Ken, <laughs> not Kim. Ken. Hello, hello, Chris and Katie. As long as that smooth peanut butter has chunks in it, we're good. So, you know, um, Ken, I, and also Nicole, this week we have a, a Facebook group. It's... Um, private so you got to search for it but it's the the University of Illinois Extension Horticulture Facebook group and we are having a debate right now about peanut butter and Ken is in Camp Chunky and I'm in Camp Smooth. Katie? Where I'm indifferent. Indifferent? Yeah I don't, I oh, don't care no. too much. There's, there's no middle ground here. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean you bake with smooth. I eat smooth on my celery. I honestly haven't bought Chunky since I've ate uh, peanut butter sandwiches. So I'm gonna probably have to go smooth if I had to pick a side. Mm -hmm. See, see, if you had to choose, people will go smooth. Chunk. Super chunk. What's winning on Facebook right now? Last, well, I checked this morning. I think smooth was up by one vote. Ooh. Right? I think there are several people that voted for both. Oh. They don't care which mm -hmm. kind. They're so like we'll, we'll, indifferent. We'll, yes. we'll put them in the chunky category. <laughs> Fair? No, no. Well, okay, enough banter about peanut butter. Uh, people don't necessarily want to hear our opinions on that, do you? Uh, if so, let me know and tell Ken if you like uh, smooth peanut butter only. Um, let's introduce our special guest for this week. Um, so we are joined by uh, a horticulture educator, uh, Nicole Flowers Kimmerly. Uh, Nicole, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Good to talk with all of you. And so I guess, I mean, since we're all weighing in on this, Nicole, smooth peanut butter, chunky peanut butter, where, where does, where does it stand in your house? In our house, it's smooth, but we are not against chunky. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to throw a peanut butter sandwich with, with chunky peanut butter on the ground. I'll say that. So, yeah. Nope. No, we love peanut butter. It's our go-to. <laughs> Same here. Yes. And yeah, we go through, I don't know. I've never, even when I was growing up, I never went through this much peanut butter as my kids do. So it, 
Yeah, must be the, that's the condiment of this generation, I suppose. So Nicole, we have you on the show today to talk about seed catalogs. Um, so I, I, I'm curious, um, and oh, and we didn't mention, where, where are you located? Where, where are you calling in from? Oh, I'm in East Peoria at home today, but um, yeah, in Peoria, Fulton, Mason, and Tazewell counties are where I'm at. So, so my office is in Lewiston, Illinois. I love Lewiston. I love going to the uh, Dixon Mounds Museum. That's probably one of my favorite spots. Whether you're in the museum or outside, I love that place. And they're opening back up soon? Oh, good, good. Yes, mm -hmm. my kids usually go on a, an annual little trek there every year so yeah that that'll be good to get back there so nicole um yeah in terms of seed catalogs i i assume being a horticulture educator you 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 have seed catalogs and you probably get sent them in the mail um by the ton so i i'm curious as someone myself i get them at work i get them at home i sometimes feel overwhelmed do you have a process that you use to go through seed catalogs when you get them in the mail? My first thing is I just look at all the pictures and want every single plant that I see. Yes. <laughs> and then I have to go back and go, okay, what is really going to be reasonable? But yeah, I don't know. We get all, you know, some are more focused on flowers and some are more focused on vegetables. So we do get a kind of variety. We're mm -hmm. trying to put our yard to more like native kind of habitat type things in a butterfly garden so that's kind of our focus right now so we're getting a lot of that type of thing. Ken Katie do you do you each of you have a process for going through seed catalogs or is it kind of just like throw the dart and I'll buy it? So I'm kind of similar uh, to Nicole we kind of go through there look at everything and then and then kind of go through again with an idea of okay I want to grow this type of tomato which one of these sounds good I want to grow this type of pepper and so I kind of have a, an idea of what I want to grow and then I go through and <clears throat> and try to find something that kind of fits that make it a little less overwhelming but I still flip through everything and dream about if I had four or five acres <laughs> for a garden <laughs> that I could plant everything oh that arboretum will come one day Ken yeah. don't you worry yes. <laughs> it's like those catalogs you used to get as a kid you know you flip through all the toys we used to get like those JC Penney catalogs where that were that thick and you flip through them and it's always fun to look at everything, see what's available. Um, and then I usually dog ear the papers so I can come back to it uh, and know what I really liked. And then like Ken and Nicole said, you know what you're looking for, like if you're looking for disease resistance and you can start to narrow it down that way. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm right there with you too, Katie. I feel like the seed catalog companies know that this brings back memories of childhood. I remember getting those, like every few months you get those toy, those uh, toys catalogs. Oh, and I'd go through and I'd circle and highlight all these toys mm -hmm. and I do that now. So I, yeah. I look forward to, I think usually once after Christmas is when I, they usually start piling into the mailbox. So, oh yeah, it's my favorite time of year other than attempting to grow the stuff that I buy. Yeah. So Nicole, for people that have not got on the mailing list yet, what's the best way for them to get access to a seed catalog or get one sent to them? I usually uh, start looking, if I'm looking for something and then I see where it is and go to their site and sign up on their website. And it's a lifelong subscription. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Or if you buy something from someone, they'll they will uh, send you their catalog. So. And I know there's at some at one point there are some websites or there were at one point websites where they'll list 50, 60 companies that'll send you free catalogs. When I first started my job with extension, I went through and signed up. So I, a couple of years I was getting 40, 50 seed catalogs in the mail. And then we moved. So I don't <laughs> maybe the old uh maybe the people that live there now are getting all these magazines for me. That so, poor person. You <laughs> stand, stand up with a box full of catalogs at the end end of time so and some of them if you don't buy stuff from them they'll stop sending them to you after a while our our secretary gets the catalogs at the office and then she looks through them and then i get the dog-eared pages torn out version that gets sent back to me so <laughs> so is there any way nicole can of tell if there's the companies that you're looking at for seeds are reputable um you know, is it better to buy from a, a big small a bigger or small business when it comes to buying seeds when we are looking for things, we look at a lot of reviews because um, we see these, they look amazing and they're for a good price and they're the perfect thing you want. And then we look at the reviews and they say, okay, all the plants I got from them are dead. Um, they don't come in time. And so then you're like, well, maybe a little too good to be true. So we do a lot of uh, looking at reviews before we buy something or even ask for the catalogs. We we check that out a lot. Also, I think when you're working with gardeners, you, you kind of ask them, um, have you ever bought from this place before? And I don't know if big or small is um, necessarily what I would go with, but what I know or what people suggest to me, because I trust the experience of the gardeners in my area that I talk to. So. Yeah, I think the like the comments section has become so valuable for us, especially nowadays with so much online shopping happening. I, I have found deals that are too good to be true, but then you go down to that comment section and you're like, oh, that's why. It's because, you know, they're not really sending you rare uh, seed, they're sending you crabgrass. You know, it's, <laughs> they, it's, it, it is sometimes so, if it sounds too good to be true, that's when it's definitely time to scroll down, look at the comments, do a little bit of investigation, I'd say. That's where my husband is big help because he can look through comments and he has the patience for that where I would just go, oh, I love that. And he's, let's wait a second, <laughs> check it out. <laughs> but we have to have it. We need it. Mm -hmm. so, uh, okay, so kind of um, a, a similar along those lines, maybe not specifically companies, but all of the different varieties that you see in these magazines. So like if we're looking at sweet corn and it's just like pages and pages of sweet corn. Nicole, what, do you have any tips for like, how do you narrow down to find the good varieties or is there programs happening in the country, trial programs or something that people can look at uh, for variety recommendations? Well, I when I what did my studies in Wisconsin, I did work on sweet corn trials and we did we tasted every single variety. So I'm sure there's places where you can look, but knowing do you want it uh, when you want it. So uh, when you you need to look at how long it takes to maturity, that would be something. And is it work in your zone? Uh, things like that. Um, if you're looking for disease resistance. So that's those are some things that you can look for. And I would say another thing to look at is the size especially when you get into like tomatoes and stuff and 
or even sweet corn. Some of those will get taller. Some of them will stay short. So as you know, is that size going to fit into your, how you want to set up your garden? So this past growing season, we heard about mystery seeds growing or showing up in the mail. Was that related to U.S. seed companies? And do you know whatever came of that? What I looked kind of looked into, it said it was some kind of, what they call it, a brushing scheme where they send you things and then they can say, this product was sent to this address and they have evidence of that, but it doesn't, the product was never sent. So they just are sending something. Um, I don't think it was necessarily linked to United States companies. It was just a way to kind of be able to say this, there was something sent to these people and then they write fake reviews on things. So I think that is what they've kind of found out, but you shouldn't plant them and you should let your Department of Agriculture know if you did get that. Why'd they have to choose seeds? I mean, they could, why they just send like a, a packet of sand, you know? <laughs> I think, yeah, cause it's just small and it doesn't, it's not heavy. So you can send out the package and um, people will actually, you know, open it and go, mm -hmm. oh, there's something. So I don't, I don't know why they did, but yeah, you don't yeah. want to be planting things you don't know. It could be something's kind of not good. <laughs> People were both curious and freaked out. So the curious people planted it. Yeah. Which you said, definitely don't do that. Contact Illinois Department of Ag if, if this is still happening. And then, you know, the people who were concerned, they they called us, some of us, some of us. <laughs> so we heard, heard a lot about that. Um, I actually got another mystery uh, package. I think it was just a few months ago. So I guess it's, people are still it. trying that little brushing. They said Mostly it's just um, herbs and maybe some vegetables. And so it's not, it hasn't been anything too, mm -hmm. too scary, except some of them they saw had some like coatings on them and they didn't know what was in them. So they were a little more worried about that, I think. But. Yeah. All right. So we've talked kind of like a lot about vegetables when we're picking out seeds and stuff. What about flowers? Are there any kind of tips or anything you have for picking out flowers? It's just kind of the same as vegetables. Oh, just make sure they are, well, flowers can be, you know, what do you want them for? Do you want them as a bedding plant? Then you probably want something shorter. Do you want them as cut flowers? Then you want something taller. So there's things that you can look for. With flowers, it's all, you know, there's different petals and um, all different colors and all those kinds of things. But, you know, the flower just has to be there and then that's the end product. You don't have to wait for it to become a fruit. So you have a shorter time that that is to that maturity that you're looking for. And so sometimes the pests can be a little bit less if you're thinking about flowers. But yeah, we, since we're putting in a butterfly garden, we're looking for things that are attractive to pollinators and butterflies at our house. And so that's one of the things we're looking for is, you know, I go, I went, this isn't a seed catalog, but I went and looked, where am I seeing these pollinators, the bumblebees, the butterflies? When I'm standing here, where do I see these? Uh, what flowers are they uh, coming to? And that's uh, what I chose for my butterfly garden. So, and we're going to put in a butterfly garden at my kid's school this year. So um, we're thinking about those kinds of things too. Is it a good idea to include um, flowers? for pollinators when you're planting your vegetable garden, kind of picking those seeds and stuff? 
I think so. Um, the flowers bring beneficial or resources for your beneficial insects and your pollinators. And so I think it's a good thing to mix. They're pretty. Um, so it makes a, a visually nice garden. And I think whenever you can increase diversity, then you're going to be decreasing like pests and things like that. And so for me, I, well, my husband said, then we won't have room for vegetables. And I said, but the benefits are so great. So I'm still talking into it, <laughs> but I would like to put some flowers in my vegetable garden this year. So. Well, in addition to uh, talking with Nicole, uh, learning more about you, we are also a question and answer show. And so we have questions that have come in to extension offices from social medias from all over. So Nicole, would you mind helping us answer some of these questions, please? I'll do what I can. <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, well, the first one, uh, Katie, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off, this actually comes from our last podcast with Jamie. Someone uh, saw that and they had a question on YouTube. Yeah, so we talked about hybrids last week. And so this person has a question, what's the difference between hybrids and GMOs? How can I avoid purchasing GMO seed? What about certified organic seed? Let's start with GMOs. Um, there's not very many GMO seeds for vegetable, the garden vegetables or flowers. So that is not a huge, I wouldn't think that would be a big worry. When they're developing GMOs, they want to make some good money off of it. And so they're thinking of things that are crops. And even when you're thinking of things that are crops, they're things that are not going to be directly consumed by, by humans. So even, um, green beans in a can, those are not going to be GMO. Uh, so I think it's, they say non-GMO, but everything's non-GMO. So I think it's not really something I would be worrying about um, as I'm picking seeds out of seed catalog. Uh, hybrids are where they select some traits that they're looking for and they um, breed that into the line and then they take two traits they want and they cross it. So that's just your traditional kind of plant breeding uh, thing. However, everything's going to be uniform the first year, but after, if you save those seeds and try and replant them, you'll start to see it, uh, different traits coming out. So you won't get that uniformity. If you were thinking to save seed, you wouldn't want to save them off of a hybrid. And then organic, um, that is not, I don't know a huge difference, except that it, the conditions that they're grown in and they won't have any treatment on them. So if you have something that you want to add to organic, that's not my necessarily strength, but. I think with organic, like you said, it's, it's the conditions in which they were grown. So they, they, it, organic and organic, unless they have a seed treatment, they're going to come to you as a seed. From that point on, whether you choose to be organic, that's that's kind of your choice. So I suppose mm -hmm. um, maybe one thought is if you want to support an organic grower, that's the only other thing I can think of. Um, yeah. In that line, yeah. I don't know, Ken, Katie, is that are we on the right path here? Yeah, I'd say organic is probably more that production practice where that was that area was that company producing that seed certified organic, and then if you want. To have organic production to be able to kind of true that true certified organic production you're going to have to use um 
organic seeds. Not that a backyard gardener is going to get certified, but if you wanted to follow the the kind of rules of producing organically, you're going to have to use organic um, seed sources. And I think it's important to clarify too, like a, a hybrid can be a hybrid itself, but it can also you can also have a genetically modified hybrid. You could have an organic organically grown hybrid. Like it's not a separation of you have your hybrids, you have your GMOs, and you have your organic seed. Yeah, and Nicole, you kind of touched on this that, that GMO stuff. None of that's going to be available for backyard production. Usually, you're having to sign agreements that you're not going to save seeds. So that all that GMO, non-GMO seed stuff um, and seed catalogs, that's just a marketing gimmick. You're not going to find that anywhere unless you're willing to sign your life away, so to speak, to, to grow that stuff. Right, right. The pollen isn't yours, Ken. You can't have it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, our next question comes from base, uh, Facebook. Should I throw away seed from last year? You might have less germination, but you isn't going to hurt to try and grow it. You just may not get um, what you're at uh, the yield that you're looking for, but I don't think it'll hurt. I hope because I never use all my seed. So <laughs> I want to grow it the next year too. I have more seed than I could Especially ever Especially if you, oh, me too. Especially if you, you know, keep it cool and in a dark spot and dry, that would, if it's been, you know, moldy or something like that you wouldn't want to use it but yeah if you've taken good care of it you'll probably still get some germination and you can do a germination test on your own too just wet some paper towels and uh, germinate it and see how well it does before you plant it and that way you don't waste any time during the growing season I think my husband bought seed that's supposed to last like 25 years because of the way it's sealed and everything it's his like you know, emergency seed in case something happens. So I would say is that, have that too. <laughs> say is that kind of a general rule of thumb, the bigger the seed is, the longer it's going to survive. So like your lettuce, your carrots, maybe after a year or two, you're not, it's probably, you're better off getting new stuff. Your larger stuff like carrots and <clears throat> green beans, stuff like that, that can last for years. I think we found some in our office that was 10 plus years old and I did a germination test and I still was getting 40, 50% germination. I think every once in a while you, you read about, you know, archaeologists find seeds in the Middle East of a date palm or something that's, you know, a few thousand Loaded. years old and they, and they can still grow it. So they'll, they'll last a lot longer than you think a lot of times. I got that, that question, similar question recently and I shared actually Iowa State University has a table of the, the crop and then the expected viability of that seed. And so uh, I, I can throw a link to that in our uh, description below. So our next question comes from Adams County and they're trying to figure out a disease resistant tomato as they've had disease in years past. So they wanna prevent that. What are all the abbreviations that we see in the catalogs? There's examples such as VWR, FR, VFM. Those are telling you what it's resistant so so v is verticillium and n is nematodes and f is fusarium fusarium i it was on it was on the tip of my tongue i couldn't think of it so you have to look and see what you're what you're worried about and if you're 
variety has that. So that'd be one thing you'd be looking for as you're looking at your seeds. Does it have the resistance to whatever is common in my area? So I got a, a similar question about someone wanted to plant, was it marigolds in their tomato patch? They said it stopped the, the nematodes that attacked the plants, but they grew up down in, I think it was like Louisiana or Alabama. Do we have those, like, is everyone in Illinois going to have something like Fusarium, Verticillium, Nematode? Is that a common problem in our woods or is it kind of regional? Things so that are, happen in the South just don't necessarily happen here because we have way different conditions. And there's some that are going to hit in different places more than others, but there's always going to be a virus or mm -hmm. a bacteria. So your management practices are going to help you um, kind of keep that limited. So kind of the, the, the diseases of fusarium, verticillium, those would be a concern. Nematodes, I think, for the most part in Illinois, they're not really um, an issue. That's more of an issue further south. So if you end up with nematodes, don't blame me. But in <laughs> Illinois, I, I don't think nematodes is a really big concern. Um, with, for tomatoes, some of the foliar diseases, your, your septoria, leaf spot, um, anthracnose, those can be issues too. And there are more and more, you're starting to see some more of those um, hybrid type tomatoes that are, show some resistance to those foliar diseases. I think that's what most people are going to be having issues with when it comes to tomatoes in Illinois. If you do have nematodes, Ken's email will be listed below <laughs> in the video description. That is if you're in Illinois. So we're, you know, generalizing across Illinois. So. <laughs> in grad school, I had to take some nematode classes. So Back in the day, so, I could identify that one recently. <laughs> there you go. At the research farm in Monmouth, Chelsea Harbot is. Oh yeah. She's serious about nematodes. <laughs> she loves it's her thing. <laughs> it's her thing. Serious in a scary way. Yes, very, very serious. She loves them. Loves to study <laughs> them. Yes. So, send them to her. It's been about ten years since I've really looked at nematodes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our next question comes from Green County. Uh, is it legal to save seed from a vegetable that I ordered from a seed catalog? Yes, you can save the seed for yourself, but I don't know, it's not, you have to check if it's copyrighted and all that before you start sharing it or trying to, you know, sell it to someone else. So, and if it's a hybrid, probably you don't wanna save it. So you have to know what you have to know if it's good to save. And then there's all the things about saving seed. Is it, did you let it mature? Did you let it dry? And so there's a lot of things that go into seed saving, but you can, if it's your own, if you bought it, you can save it. Then it gets a little, um, a little more difficult to know. Yes, there's a flourishing legal field in the world of plant genetics, so. <laughs> Something that if I could keep my toes out of, I would gladly do that. Yeah, as long as you're not signing an agreement, <laughs> I think you'll be fine to save it. Our next question comes from Knox County. Uh, so we're working with the local school garden. Is there any way that we can get free seed? Every extension educator's favorite question. I don't know. It depends on what's in your area. When I had my school garden at, um, in Mason County, um, we got a donation from uh, at the end of the season and we saved it for the next year. And so that was very generous of them, but seed is relatively inexpensive and 
Um, I, when I was, we were working on that, I heard something I never thought I'd hear in public school. Um, we have money for that. And so there was a little bit, and I mean, as much as we were going to plant, it's not, it's not too terribly expensive. And so, um, and I also think that people, if you, they know you're doing that project, they're willing to donate to, um, because they feel like it's an important thing for kids to get their hands in the dirt and know where uh, plants come from, seeds come from, their food comes from. And so I don't know where you would find free seed unless you had a generous uh, donor, but um, I think it's doable. You know, some communities at the libraries will have um, seeds and stuff, seed libraries and stuff where you can kind of get some as long as you agree to you know save some of that seed and and kind of replenish that stock the next year. So that may be something to look into if where they're at, if, they, if their libraries have something like that or some other organization. All right, our last question comes from Sangamon County. Um, they're looking for a small tomato plant uh, for their tiny garden, uh, but they are confused with all the ter- what all the terms mean, uh, bush or vining type, determinate, indeterminate. Uh, what is the, gonna be their best choice if they just want a small tomato plant? So the bush ones are gonna say smaller. Uh, if you can grow up, a vining one may be good for you. It depends on where your space is. Sometimes we forget that vertical space is available. And so as long as you stake that, it would still be okay. Um, and then there's deter- determinant is going to get to a certain size and make its fruit and that's it. Or indeterminate will keep growing. And so depending on what you're looking for, uh, but usually a, a determinate bush type is going to be smaller. And I would look for dwarf too. You know, the, a lot of the varieties say small or something or dwarf in front of them. That would give you a hint that it's small. I think there was one called like a tumbling tom that can grow in a six inch pot and spill over. So I would read the descriptions in, in your thing because there are vegetables that are made for containers. I don't know. Is there anything else that I'm missing there? No, I've, I've only made the mistake more than once of planting an indeterminate giant tomato in a place that it doesn't belong. And um, you actually get more disease problems when you do that and a lot more issues. And I didn't get many tomatoes that year. So I was a young person, though, so I didn't know what I was doing. We um, had aquaponics where I was teaching. And we grew an indeterminate tomato and we were uh, tying it up and it was growing all the way to the ceiling in the greenhouse because it was getting all that nitrogen. So we didn't get a lot of tomatoes off of it, but man, we had a um, mm-hmm. nitrogen filter there that was doing its <laughs> job. So uh. it's a be- beautiful tomato bush. That's all I got to say. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Don't expect any fruit though. No. Well, that was a lot of very good information. So Nicole, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) Well, the podcast, uh, we are produced by Wendy Ferguson and edited by me, Chris Enroth. Special thanks, of course, goes to Ken and Katie for being our host uh, today. So Ken, Katie, thank you very much. Thank you, Nicole. And thanks, Ken and Chris. Yes, thank you, Nicole, and thank you, as always, Chris and Katie. Let's do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. Let me check my notes. Yes, we do have a show next week. We're going to be talking about native plants. We're going to be asking uh, three other 
designers, their opinions, their top three native plants, and they're going to be on the show to tell us what their favorite native plants are. So, listeners, thanks for doing what you do best, and that is listening, or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching, and as always, keep on growing.